We, uh, we are grateful for your generosity to us and your generosity in giving us your Holy Spirit. And we believe your Holy Spirit is here. Not just here because it's Sunday morning and it's a church time, but it's here because there are individuals here who have given your Holy Spirit access to their lives. And so the Holy Spirit is welcome here many times over. And we just ask you to give us ears to hear what he's saying to us. And that you would give us grace and uh, courage to respond as well. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I think I've told this story before, but when, I was, when Kathy and I were first married, when actually we were dating, and she was in, uh, came over to visit me one time, and somehow she was examining my toothbrush. I have no idea why, okay? Um, and she said, well, you know you should change your toothbrush every three months. And you know what I said? Who's they? Who is they that's saying you should change your toothbrush every month? I mean, this idea of you should do this, and I would say, who's they? And that was actually one of, that was unusually so, or not unusually, irrationally so, it was a big fight. Because they, well, I was like, what do you mean I should? I should says who? And if I don't do it, am I breaking the law? If I don't do it, am I going to die? What's going to happen? So when they say you should change your toothbrush every three months, it kind of bugged me. All right, next thing. You know what else they say? They say you should tip 20%. I was reading an article, Reader's Digest this week. They said it's a given now that you should tip 20%. And I'm saying, who's they? Who is they? Probably the waiters and waitresses, right? Who's they? And when they say you should, should I? I mean, is that like a law? Like if I don't tip 20%, can I get arrested? If I, oh no. So this whole idea of they say you should. I mean, I saw on the internet, it was like a tipping guide about all the, all the things you're supposed to tip, all the things you should tip for. I mean, you should tip if somebody does this, you know, carries your suitcase, makes your coffee at Starbucks. I mean, it was like, wow, they are telling me a lot of things I should do. And if you're like me, I kind of rebel against that. I'm not going to tip because I'm supposed to, because it's not a law. Let me be generous. Don't tell me I have to, I should, or I ought to. All right, next thing. They say you should pay the Indiana Department of Revenue 3.4% taxes. Who's they? Oh, well, it's, yeah, it's the you know, Indiana State Assembly, I suppose, is they. But, and I should? I mean, I should? What if I don't? So what if I don't? What if I don't want to do that? Now, here we're in a different area of should, all right, of the word here, because, yeah, they say I should tip 20%, and if I don't, nobody's going to have any problem with that. Maybe the waitress or waiter won't serve me well next time. But now should takes a different meaning, because now if I don't do it, what happens? Well, they may come after my money and take my paycheck or do whatever. Maybe some of you have tried this before and realized it doesn't work, all right? But this is where the word should has a little more force behind it. And frankly, if we're honest, we don't like it when should has force behind it. Here's another one. They say you should tithe. Well, who's they? I mean, Andrew and Sarah? Who's that? I mean, the church? Pastors on TV? They say you should tithe. And it's like, and we have the same kind of reaction to the should. Uh... Yeah, I'll give if I want to, but don't tell me I should. I mean, ought, should. That kind of feels like legalism. I don't want to change my toothbrush every two months, every three months. I change it whenever I feel like it, all right? I don't want to tip 20%. I'll tip whatever I want to when I feel like it. 
I really don't want to pay 3.4% taxes to the state of Indiana. I don't want to, but I will anyway, because if I don't, there could be a penalty. This is a little bit different, though. They say you should tithe. Well, kind of like Andrew was saying, I struggled with that. But what do we do with this should? Because it wasn't just that they said you should tithe. Jesus said it. In this case, he's the they. So if Jesus said you should tithe, now what do we do with that? Because again, we all, myself included, we had this reaction to being shoulded at or ought to at. When you, and you've had parents or people that you've worked with or spouses that say, well, you know what you ought to do. And you're like, don't, don't tell me what to do. Let me have the freedom to do that. So we have a natural human reaction to should and ought. But when Jesus says it, now what do we do with that? It's kind of like, okay, um, well, if I don't tithe, I don't think he's going to arrest me. And it's not like my teeth are going to rot out like a toothbrush thing. But what happens? And why does he say that? So that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're doing this series we're calling G. All right? Um, G meaning give, ultimately. And how do we become giving kind of people? We talked a few weeks ago about forgive and forgiving kind of people. How do we be the kind of people that kind of not just generous in money, but generous with spirit and forgiveness, generous with time. We're always, but forgiving is a hard part of giving. We talked, uh, go to the next one. But we talked about sometimes the green G becomes this red G of grudging and we don't want to forgive people. So we're, and that, that's a real big block to relational generosity as well as financial generosity. Generosity has the same core in your heart, whether it's money, time, or forgiveness. So this whole thing is not about money generosity. It's about becoming big G generous people. All right? And then what we talked about, uh, the next one, we talked about how do, you have, how do we change from being grudging people to generous giving people uh, and that challenge I've issued is, and I, like I said, I've, I carry one of these around in my coat pocket. Whenever I reach for my keys, I have to grab one out. And it reminds me to pray for people. I've had, I have difficulty forgiving, asking God to bless them. It reminds me that my, my calling as a follower of Jesus is to be a giver, a generous person. Money, time, energy. All right? Now, here's what we're going to talk about this week, and I'm just going to call it this. It's going to be called G10. So it's not G10, all right? G10. So think about like a Gatorade or Big Ten or whatever, G10. Because the word tithe literally means uh, tenth. Um, the root word of tithe in the, in the Greek language is deca, like decade. So it doesn't just mean give, it means tenth. So it really, it, it means that. Now, in the spirit of what I've said in terms of who's they and who said it and how do I know I'm supposed to change my toothbrush or pay taxes? And where does this idea of tithe come from? We're going to look at a passage. Uh, this is the only, well, actually it shows in another gospel, but it's one situation. The only time where the word tithe comes out of the mouth of Jesus that's recorded. All right? Now, that doesn't mean it's more or less important. I just, uh, truth in advertising, Jesus talked about it one time. All right? It doesn't mean he didn't talk about generosity. And we're going to see where the culture of this comment comes from. And you're going to look at some Old Testament stuff too. But Jesus is having one of his, it's kind of, when you think about it, it's kind of funny how often he was just right in the face of the Pharisees. And Jesus had no problem provoking them and stirring up their hearts. 
And this is what he says. I mean, this is, this is Jesus here, right? This is kind, loving, tender Jesus. And he's not being unkind or untender. He's just being clear and truthful, all right? What sorrow awaits you is you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. Hypocrites, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. In other words, they would... If they gardened this really tiny, you know, it's called dill and cumin seed, all this little, they would, they would measure it out in one tenth. They would say, this belongs to God. So they were doing what they should do. And Jesus was still rebuking them because they were doing what they should do for an absolutely wrong reason. They were doing it for the, the adoration of men. And, and Jesus said, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith, other G." give, forgive, generosity toward others. So Jesus is not just saying, okay, he said, you know, you, you, you're doing all this stuff that you should do, but there's a whole other area that you're missing, and you're not even doing this right. Because the Pharisees are like, hey, we get, it's a tenth of everything. I can show you my books. I can show you my, you know, Hebrew language quicken. I can show you exactly how much I've given of all my stuff. And then Jesus says this, you should tithe. Yes, you should. But don't neglect the more important things. And if you hear the last few weeks, we talked about the other part of the giving, the forgiving. And I guess, and I'll even say this, if that's still an issue for you, forgiveness, if there's people you are unwilling to forgive, I'm not saying forgiveness is hard for you. If you are unwilling to forgive someone or people in your life, then I'd say, make that your spiritual effort. Don't even worry about giving money anywhere. Because if, you, if, you, if that's the block for you, that you don't want to forgive somebody, uh, don't even worry about giving money right now. Don't, even, don't give money. It's probably actually work to your detriment. But he says you should tithe. So where did we go with that? And why did Jesus say that? And when he said it, everybody who was listening knew what he was talking about because there are all these Jewish men and women who are raised in the Jewish faith. So let's kind of look at the, the concept of tithe. Let's go to the, uh, the Old Testament. Uh, some people call it the Hebrew Bible. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you know, blah, 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 yada, 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 whatever. I'm, I'm, I don't mean to be derogatory of Scripture, but you know what I'm saying. So... Ancient history, here's what it was like. If, if a king conquered another country, often that other country was required as the conquering fee to, pay ten, to give 10% of their goods to the king. So it was kind of like nobody wanted to, but they sure should have. They had to. They had to. They, you know, they said you should give 10% to us, that they was the king with a bigger armor than my army. And that's so that, that was a common thing you saw in cultures. This t- and kings would often demand 10% of his people for taxes. So this, and we're not, nobody's really sure why the 10 was there other than it's kind of a round number and it's a 10. And, well, then you read in the Old Testament where it first shows up is Abraham is part of some, and he's, you know, the father of the faith, one of the, uh, the you know, great man, hall of fame, and in the, in the, in the, those who walk with God. He's a part of some conquering battle, and he, has, and he has the spoils of war. You know, uh, animals, crops, probably nice clothes that, that, were, that were won from winning this battle. He gives 10% to a man named Melchizedek, who was a priest, as a way to honoring him. And so, and there's no, there's no, we're not really told why he did that, 
But there was a sense that he knew he needed to give some to this man. All right? But there was no sense. God wasn't. It isn't like God was telling him to. He wasn't commanded. There was no they should involved in that. Well, then Jacob, you know, down the line of Abraham's descendants, uh, Abraham's grandson, Jacob tithes to God. He gives a tenth of his crops and his, and his uh, animals to God. Again, we're not told why other than he was grateful. It was his way of showing God, like, like Andrew said, all, everything all belongs to you anyway, so I'm giving this to you to show you how grateful I am. It's a give back gratitude. But there wasn't obligation. It wasn't like God said, Jacob, give me this 10%. Jacob said, okay, here it is. Jacob gave it. Well, then, you know, you, you keep going. And then in the Levitical law, you know, uh, some of the, those first five books of the Old Testament, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, God starts talking about tithing. Through Moses, through others, that he's starting to, God's giving the people, the, this is the way you ought to live life that will help you live it full. And that's why they call it, the law was not just a law to slap them punishment-wise. It was to help them live life full. And God started telling them they were to, they were to give sacrifices and give offerings and give tithes. And one of the things they did that actually perplexes me... Um, well, let me, let me stop for a second here. I'm going to interrupt myself. Is that a real $20 bill? Just feel it, touch it. All right. Who's in the $20 bill? Who's on it? Okay, some of you don't have $20 bills. You don't know. So what God would do is that he would ask these people to take a perfectly good animal, perfectly good crops and burn it. Sometimes to be eaten, but often the Bible says, let it be wholly burned up. That's kind of a waste, isn't it? I mean, it's a perfectly good lamb. Why am I supposed to burn that? Now, I'm going to do something here. I'm not doing this. This is something I feel like God asked me to do. So if you think I have other motives, it's nothing than that because I don't want to do this. All right? I'm going to burn $20. All right, and I want you to feel, I got this on my wife's wallet yesterday. She had no idea what I was getting, all right? But think for a second. What's minimum wage now? Seven. This is maybe three, three hours of labor if you work in minimum wage. For the rest of it, it represents some time of your life and energy. What can you buy with 20 bucks? Maybe a cup of coffee at Starbucks? Yeah, you know. No, but what can you buy with 20 bucks? I mean, you can buy stuff with this. This represents some of the time I've invested in my life and my job. And if I stick this in here, ah, if you were here on Christmas Eve, you realized I made a mistake with fire. <laughs> All right. I'm burning, a, you know, if somebody's burning a lamb to God, a perfectly lamb, they were worth more than $20. What's going on here? I mean, it's not about me. I'm talking about if you're burning a lamb, can't see Andrew anymore. Sorry, man. What's going on when, when God was asking somebody to give a lamb and then burn it? Gone. Okay, now is this $20 gone? I mean, is it just a waste? Is it gone? Is there something else that maybe has gone on? Did the smoke do something other than smell the room? 
why would God ask people to give a sacrifice and burn it? I mean, uh, you figure if you're a shepherd and you pick your best lamb, I don't know how much a lamb could get, but I guess it was probably a day's wages at least. And God says, burn it to me. Burn it to me. And what's involved in that? Well, I suppose, I, mean, I didn't want to do this. I have things I could spend $20 on, okay? But I thought, okay, what's involved in that kind of a sacrifice? It's trust. Because God's saying, you know what? I'm going to take care of you. So burn some of the stuff you have. To me, it's a sacrifice. Not grudgingly, not like, oh, I hate this. Don't get the worst lambs. Don't burn a dollar bill. Don't try to burn a quarter because it won't burn. I thought about that. Can I put a quarter in there, God? I don't know. Yeah. And again, I'm not, I, this, is, and this was my money, by the way. It wasn't church's money. It didn't pull out of the treasure box. <laughs> you know. So, uh, and, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm really not trying to grant it because it was something I, I feel like God said to me clearly yesterday. I was like, 20 bucks. I'm glad you didn't say 50, okay? Whatever, you know. <laughs> but let's talk about what, some of you when, you, when we give, it feels like, well, why, why, why can't I have control of what happens to that money? And why should I give this? I mean, it's not, we're talking about more than philanthropy. Philanthropy, I give because I want to give. Nobody's telling me I should. But God starts telling people, this is what you ought to do. And God is not just being some wasteful tyrant. He's doing it because he knows there's something that's unlocked in us when we let go of things that we think are going to bring us life. And we let go of it, and we let it, in a sense, be wasted in those kind of sacrifices. So that was some of the early sacrifice, the early giving of crops. I mean, they take some of their best grain and burn it. And they're probably thinking, how many loaves of bread could I have made with that? But yet they were learning there was something God was trying to teach them that had something a whole lot more to do than just money. It was about letting go of those things we think give us life. It was not grabbing or getting or things like that. Well, then, it, and then, and then it, as, it, as it went on, then God would, then they started giving sacrifices and they still did some of this, the total burning. They would give a sacrifice to the temple to burn part of the animal and the rest of the animal went for the livelihood of the priests who had been called and given themselves fully to the ministry of the temple and the spiritual leadership of the people. So then their tithe was that way. Sometimes their tithe this something is that kind of caught me a couple years when I first read this. Sometimes their tithe was simply take a tenth of your crops and your animals, go to Jerusalem and have a big feast and a party with that food you brought. So some of the original intent of the tithe, which I think we've missed, is for our joy. He was saying, God was saying, he wasn't saying take a tenth and give it to a priest. He was saying take a tenth Get your family, get your friends, go to Jerusalem and before God, go to, go to a temple and have a huge feast. And your eating and your joy is an ex expression of gratitude to God. And that's why in the Exodus budget, we actually have a line that's called the festive fund. Because it's like, you know what? We're going to put money into a line in our budget for festivity kind of stuff. Now, it's not a tenth of our budget or things like that, but that's where that comes from. And there are times where perhaps you need to take some of your money and throw a party. 
before the Lord. I mean, that doesn't mean you have to kind of preach or teach in the middle of the meal. But I think a couple years ago, I was telling people, maybe you take some money that you, wouldn't, that you didn't budget and go get a big piece of tiramisu somewhere and indulge before the Lord. Get one of those Frino, Frappo, Skimpy, Milk, Frappuccino things. Ask them to supersize it at Starbucks. They even have that word at Starbucks. And take it as a gift from God to you for your total culinary pleasure. I'm serious. Do that. So then, then, so there was that, and then, then it was God said, you know what, now every, instead of taking that tenth and have a big party, every three years give that tenth to a big storehouse because we can start taking care of the poor. Because society had changed and there were needs in the poor. So now some of this tenth that was set aside was not just for burning trust. It wasn't just for joyful celebration. It wasn't just for the livelihood of the priests. It was also now to take care of the poor. And then God talks more about how the storehouse, the 10%, would need to go to pay for the livelihood, not just the priests, it's interesting, but even the singers in the temple. So they were called to bring money to the temple so that the priests and the singers and the gatekeepers, anybody who worked in the administration of the spiritual leadership of the people, was to be taken care of by the 10% tithes of the people. And there are times in Israel's history where they weren't doing that. And Nehemiah at one time got really mad because he saw all the priests and the singers and gatekeepers out in the fields trying to make an extra buck because the people weren't bringing their tithe in. And because of that, God's blessing was not falling on the land. And so you see this, this pattern in the, in, the, in the Old Testament of the tithing was for joy, it was for the poor, and it was for the livelihood of the priests, the singers, and the gatekeepers. Now, New Testament. New Testament, like I said, Jesus mentions it one time, but he mentions it because he knows the Pharisees have ta- taken this concept and made it this legalistic image management thing. Look how great we are. We give a tenth. Look how, look how spiritual we are. We even tithe, you know, we tithe even everything from comes from our garden. Everything. Because we are spiritual people. And that's where Jesus said, you're not getting it. Yeah, you should tithe. But don't forget the generosity of spirit. And then other places in the New Testament, the word tithe doesn't really appear, but there seems to be an assumption that that kind of systematic, proportionate to your income kind of giving, generous giving to God's people, to the poor, to those who do the work of the ministry, that was a common thread throughout the letters that Paul wrote to churches And it seems like this idea of the tithe kind of undergirded the whole thing. Kind of this 10%, not as a legalistic measurement, but as a starting point point of view. That that belongs to God anyway. And what God cares for is, he cares for everybody. He cares for the poor. He cares for your joy. And he cares for those people who he he has called to lead the spiritual institutions of their time. And he, and he wants the poor to be taken care of. He wants those priests in that particular time in history. He wants them to have nothing else distracting them other than the ministry of the temple and to the people. And that's what Scripture seems to talk about. Now today, well, we say at Exodus, how this, how this kind of stuff flushes out in Exodus. This is kind of the, what we say at Exodus is, uh, do, we, do I have it? Yeah, let me say this. In terms of generosity, I will practice forgiveness Think about Jesus rebuking the Pharisees for not having forgiving spirits. 
So what we say as a church, as individuals, we want to be these kind of people, people who practice forgiveness. And this is the wording we use for tithing. I will release 10% of my income back to God, first through the ministries of Exodus Church and then through other Christ-centered missions. Some people say, well, does that mean all 10% has to go to Exodus? No. I, I can't see Scripture compelling us to believe that. But I do believe it would say, first, you need to be thinking about what are you going to give to the church and then think about, like I mentioned last week, introduce a lot of people who come to church here or work for other ministries, Campus Crusade, uh, Navigators, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Christian Student Fellowship, those kind of ministries. Is 10% a legalistic measure? No, it's a really good place to start. Take 10% of your income, figure out what portion God's calling you to give to the church, and then what portion of that 10 and or beyond God's asked you to give to other Christ-centered ministries, ministries of the poor, ministry of the whatever. All right, now, go to the next one. So we're called to give. Uh, here's the problem. Go to the next one. We love to get. We love to accumulate. I, I, I struggle sometimes with when God asked me to give because I didn't want to give this. I wanted to get, um, this is like what, half a meal for my family at a restaurant. Um, I got four kids, so three teenagers, they eat a lot. All right. So not only get, but grab. We like, well, I, where's my share? Why don't I get more of this? Why isn't God taking care of me? Yeah, I really... I remember one time when I, God asked me to give money, there was somebody, another guy in ministry, and I really kind of had an issue with it. He, he seemed a little bit something to me, whatever that means. Okay. And, and I was like, I was kind of had, had a grudge toward him. This is a big, this is a big gathering of pastors. Well, right in the middle of this big gathering of pastors, they decided to take an offering for this guy because he's going to start a new church in New York City. And I was like, yeah, nobody took an offering from me. I felt this clear sense of God say, give money to the offering. It's like, I don't want to. I'll give what I have in my wallet. Well, I had one $20 bill in my wallet. And I was like, dang, can I get changed somewhere? You know what I'm talking about. You've done that too. But it was, God said, you know what? I want you to show generosity and gracious to this guy. And you letting go of money on his behalf. He'll never know you gave that. But you know, I know you gave that, and it's going to release something in you of forgiveness toward him because you've kind of got this grab mentality about why aren't people giving money to our church because we're having some struggle. This was 10 years ago or 8 years ago. So we, we get, we grab the last one, but we kind of get greedy. Well, I, you know, it's kind of like Andrew and Sarah said, well, if we didn't tithe, we could pay off this mortgage or we could keep the mortgage payments and I wouldn't have to get another job, Sarah would think. And even though that was never an option for them, I, I, I know they're human, and I know that was probably something that spins in your head for a few seconds, like, oh, what, uh, no, we're going to tithe still. So here's the question I'll throw out all of you today. Where do you see any of these in your heart? This grab, this get, this greedy, because it's all, in all of our hearts to some degree, God's rooting this out by his goodness and grace in our lives so we can be generous, grateful, giving people. But there's still some of these remnants that, that God's tearing and rooting out of you. I mean, I, I resonate probably more toward the grab as my kind of dark issue. I guess if some of you resonate to other things, you realize, you know, when it comes to money, there's a real tight string between your wallet and your heart. And God loves to kind of banjo that string around a little bit. Now, go to the next one there, Chip challenge again. Now it's not to give to forgiving, although I want you to keep thinking about those kind of people in your life. 
But now it's how do you ask God to help you to move from a grabbing, getting, greedy heart to a generous, giving, good, grateful heart with your money. And again, it's always weird. A friend of mine always says when it comes to money, things get funny when it comes to ministries. If you question the motive of Exodus, give it somewhere else. I'm going to send you an email probably in the next couple of days with a list of those people who uh, come to Exodus who are in other ministries and other, and other ministries in Bloomington. Give them money. I don't care. Give. Test God. Kind of like what Sarah said. Test God. And it's, it's uh, this is just a challenge, I'll say. If you're not a giver and you think, well, maybe I can work up to 10%. Maybe you can, and if you have debt, pay that off. But maybe the challenge is you just jump right in and say, okay, God, I'm going to test you. We'll see. We'll see, God. Because God's not going to, it's not the should of, if you don't tithe, God's going to get you. The should is because he knows it does something in releasing life in us. Here's a passage. Interesting. I had no idea Sarah was going to share that. She had no idea we were going to close with this. This is the very passage Sarah was talking about where uh, God's talking to the people. It's kind of this conversation, the book of Malachi, Old Testament book, right before the New Testament begins, hundreds of years before Jesus, 500 years or so. God says to the people, now return to me. And I put us, because we are the people, and we have these same issues too at times. (laughs) They say to God, how can we return to you? We've never gone away. What's the big deal? And God says, you've cheated me. (laughs) When have we ever cheated you? I mean, I'm adding emotion, but that's how we feel. You've cheated me out of tithes and offerings due to me. And you're under a curse because of it. Not uh, penalty curse. It's not penalty box. Then he goes on to say this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so, so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, look what God wants to do for every single one of us. I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it put me to the test. Now, does that mean that when Andrew and Sarah decided they were going to pay their mortgage instead of cut their tithe, that all of a sudden God dumped a couple hundred thousand dollars in their lap? Probably not. I don't think that happened, as far as I know. But blessing isn't just financial. God's not a candy machine where you put your quarter in and you get out something extra. It's not that way. But God does bless financially, takes care of you financially. He blesses with kind of a... That kind of giving will generate in you a more forgiving heart, even though it's about money. But again, there's a connection there. But God says, try it. I'll op- I will open the windows of heaven for you. So it's not that God doesn't want to bless you. It's just that he's given us autonomy that if we choose to cooperate with his laws of gravity, so to speak, the laws of tithing, then the windows open up and he's willing to say, you know what, I can trust these people with my, with God says this, with my money and my spirit because they trust me and they'll let go of stuff. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe. Then all the nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven army. You see, God's desire for us is not just to burn it and waste it. And he's not just trying to teach us a lesson. He's not just trying to say like a conquering king, I'm in charge here, you give me 10%. He's saying, if you cooperate with how I know I made you and you do what I'm asking you to do, what you should do, 
in a life-giving kind of way, I will bless you. I will release life to you. You will not worry. You will not have the anxieties about provision in your life. I will take care of you. You will have a capacity of your heart and spirit with your money, with your emotional energy, with forgiveness, with mercy. That's what, he, that's what he wants you to be. He wants you to be a delight. He wants others to feel a sense of blessing from you. But God will trust only those who trust him in that sense. If you're not willing to trust him with how he operates and how he designed your heart and our souls, then, it's, then he would be unwise to entrust you with stuff. And that's why and we take communion every week because it's our reminder that God didn't just ask us to do something he's never done. He gave something. He gave his son. He gave the life of his son. Hey, I'll give 90% if it's going to keep any of my kids from dying. But God went even the full way and it's like, it's, not even, it's more than money. He gave of himself. He gave to us for our for our life because he wanted to break that tight hold of get, grab, greed that our flesh has in our lives. And because of the blood of Jesus and him showing us that giving away can be a, not just a lifestyle, but it's your life, we'll break that hold. So we do this in gratitude today. We do, in gratitude to Jesus, we say thank you for your body, for your blood. Uh, and in, in today, I'll just even say if this is, if this is you today, and you're taking today, maybe as you take in this bread and this cup, maybe it's, it's you're asking God, God, will you release me from the grab, greedy, getting kind of spirit that I know sometimes rears its really ugly head in me. In Jesus, Hosanna, I need you. I need you to do that for me. I want to be that kind of person, but I'm so afraid that if I do what you ask me to do, I won't have anything left. And Jesus says, well, follow me, follow my example, and trust me. Here's how we do it at Exodus. Uh, we'll sing a few more songs. As soon as we start singing, you're invited to come on up to take communion. Anybody's welcome who would say they are a follower of Jesus. All right? And you give God no conditions. Perfection isn't the standard, the desire and the intention, and say, but all, of, all that I know of myself, I give to you, Jesus. Uh, and then what we do is we offer you bread, Tear off a piece. Don't uh, just tear off a piece yourself. We'll offer you the cup. Don't try to drink out of the cup. Just dip the bread in it. That's just how we do it here. Most people eat it right here or over wherever. Some people take it back to their seat. Whatever. You can do whatever. Same time in the room over there, it says prayer. There are people over there who are willing to pray for you about anything. Not just about money. Not just about... But it could be about a generous heart you, you want towards someone else. It could be about a, a giving, great, grateful heart that you know you don't have. So I encourage you to go back there. If you just want somebody to agree with you and pray with you in that sense. All right? Uh, God, uh, we're grateful. Jesus, we're grateful.